Heavenly Father, the routine of Sundays can maybe sometimes even numb us to how stunning it is that we can stand in your presence, that we can come boldly with confidence without toxic shame or terror, that we can worship you and sing to you and hear from you and commune with your people. What you see the church is, is the temple of the Spirit. God, it's an incredible thing to be able to gather in this place. And I, I pray that you would help us to know that, to feel that, to experience that, to meet with you. What we need more than anything else in life is an encounter with you that then directs us to our King and our hero, Jesus Christ. I mean, we, we, as we gather together, God, we, we, we want to grow as people. We want to grow as friends. We want to we grow in our habits and our discipline. And we want to be generous and gracious to others. We want to be confronted with areas that we need to grow. We want all of those things. But what we need more than anything else is we just need to meet with Jesus and all of his sufficient grace. So would you make him very loud? loud in our songs, loud in our conversations, loud in our prayers, loud in communion, and I pray loud in this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's January uh, 2007. Um, I was getting ready to, to plant this church. The, this church began kind of like its official first service was February 25th, 2007, and so it was like a month and a half before that. Um, and the church that I was part of, Christ the King Community Church in town, um, that was sending us out to plant this church, they were going to do a big giant staff retreat down at a lodge um, by Mount Si, kind of outside like the Snohomish area. And they said, Rob, if you want to come along and just get some time in the woods, some time to just be quiet before the Lord, you are welcome to come along. We'll find you a room. You can find a spot. You can join with us whenever you want. You can do your own thing whenever you want. Um, and, and so I said, absolutely. I'd love to come down. And and so um, I, I began fasting. I was kind of going through the season of fasting. And this makes sense with the story. Um, I probably haven't fasted since then. So, um, but but I, I, was, I was fasting. I'd been fasting for four days. And so I was pretty raw before the Lord. Just kind of, it's one of the things fasting does for me at least is when you get past the hunger stuff, um, it, just makes, it just makes me very pliable before God. So I'd been fasting for a number of days, and I'm sitting at this lodge, and I felt like the Spirit impressed upon me. I didn't hear an audible voice, but just like, you need to go for a run. And I said, well, that seems like a bad idea, God. I've been fasting for four days. I don't think I should go for a run. And it's like, no, I really think you should. And so I began to, to run. I didn't know where I was. I'd never been to this area before. I just left the lodge and kind of wandered out past the trees, and I ended up on this road. Went down this road, and then saw a little turn-in for a trailhead, and so I went into this trailhead, and I saw this trail, and I felt like God was just like, I want you to take that path. Again, not hearing his audible voice, just, just a sense of being led by the Spirit. And um, might have been hunger, but, but I think it was the Spirit. And so I began to take this trail, I began to run up this, this trail, and I'm exhausted. I'm just really tired. And a mile and a half or so into this trail that was pretty steep, I, I got to this spot and I, I was able to kind of peer out through the, through the trees and look down into the valley and it was just beautiful. And I was like, God, this is enough. And I felt like the, just this impression 
where I just felt this like, keep going or you're gonna miss what I've prepared for you. I said, okay. So I began to, to run, kind of run, walk, kind of run, kind of pant, get a little bit further. Same sort of thing, kind of find this spot, looking out over the, the trees and, and, and just like, this is enough. And I just felt like, again, God was like, keep going or you're gonna miss what I've prepared for you. So I kept going. And it was January, I was in shorts and a t-shirt, and I hit snow and ice. And uh, this guy hiking down had crampons on his feet. And I was like, this seems like a bad idea to keep going. And I was like, God, I cannot keep going. I'm exhausted. He says, look up. And so I look up, and in this, I'm, I'm, I know it feels like I'm making this up and embellishing it, and maybe I was hallucinating, but, but there was this beam of light coming through the trees, and it was hitting this perfectly placed walking stick leaning against the tree. It says, I'm always going to provide what you need to get you where I want you to go. I said, okay. So I grab it, and I keep going. And I got to the top finally. And if you've ever been up Mount Si, this is a mountain, so it's about, I didn't realize this, it's about four miles up, it's about 3,000 feet of elevation gain. This is what hikers go to to practice for Rainier. If you can get up and down in about two hours, they say you're ready to summit Rainier. So it was a pretty strenuous activity for me. And so I'm at the top of this thing, and what happens when you get to the top of Mount Si, you're looking out over, over the, the, the valley towards Seattle, but then to the south, I was like eye level with Mount Rainier. And it was this beautifully clear day. He says, this is what I wanted you to see. Keep going, or you're going to miss what I've prepared for you. I'd suggest to you that's the invitation of the Christian life. Keep going. There's something so beautiful to see beyond the beauty that you've already seen. Just keep going. The inspiration for this series, um, further up, further in, through the Songs of Ascent, it comes from sort of two places. One of the places is uh, one of the members of our church, a guy named Micah Ellis, who a few years ago began to do this design project. And he would say it's a project, not a brand. And he was really compelled by this phrase, further up and further in from C.S. Lewis. And he's like, man, there's got to be more to Christianity. There's got to be more than the stuff that I'm seeing in the culture and out of the church and all, just all the nonsense. There's got to be something better to press into. And so he began this design project. A number of you in the church, because you know Micah, have bought sweatshirts or hats or t-shirts, and so I got a little shirt on today. It's kind of plastered everywhere, and so I asked him, so I'm saying this for, for two reasons. I just think it's really cool, but, but I said, Micah, do you mind if we use the design for it? And I, like, I want to wear the shirt, and, and other people want to, and we'll have little stickers. He says, as long as people know that I didn't ask you, and, I, and, and I'm not making money on it, so he's, he didn't ask me. He's not making any money on it at all. I just think it's such an incredible thing that he captured, and it comes from CS. Lewis, who says this, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. There's always more to see. There's always more to see. Lewis is, is um, talking about the journey of the, the Christian life into the new creation, this further up, further in. And for the next 15 weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to follow one of God's maps that he provides to sojourning saints, to pilgrims like us, 
as we walk up towards the new creation. And specifically, we're going to look at Psalms 120 through 134. It's known as the Songs of Ascent. You'll see this little, if you look at your Bibles, you'll see this little italic phrase or a little header above each of the Psalms, and it'll say a Song of Ascent. And there's debate about what these songs were used for, but, but at some point it looks like God's people had compiled them together as a series of 15 songs, and that's what psalms are, is they're the prayer book of the Bible, but they were songs that, that God's people would sing individually and as a church community as they would take pilgrimages in places. And so what they began to be used for was these 15 songs as people would go up, because Jerusalem was lifted up, so as they go up up to Jerusalem at three different times a year during the great feast. And so this is a way for God's people to prepare their hearts, their minds, their soul, their strength to worship before the Lord. What it lays out is a pathway for disciples, a way of orienting our lives towards God on this journey to go further up and further in. Today we're going to begin the first step of the journey and the first psalm of the series, Psalm 120. And we're going to look at three things. Why we leave, where we're headed, and how we get there. So why we leave, where we're headed, and how we get there. If you're able to read for the reading, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? Psalm 120, this is God's wonderful, flawless, life-directing word. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Feel free to grab a seat. So why do we leave? This is the setting out song. This is the beginning of the journey song. So why do we leave? Well, I'll give you a summary statement from this text because it's too painful to stay where you are. We see it multiple times in this text. In my distress, I called this statement down in verse five, woe to me. When that phrase is used, it's almost like it'd be better to not be alive. It's so difficult. This phrase, too long, you just hear this, this angst with the way this psalmist, what they were experiencing. This is too painful to stay just the way things are. And then it works out in two different ways in this text. One of those is in verse two, deliver me, O Lord, and then we see what's so difficult from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. You can maybe phrase it like this, you know what, in this world, I'm tired of being misled. I'm tired of being duped. I'm tired of hearing half-truths presented as the full truth. I'm tired of all the false and conflicting narratives. I'm tired of just being confused all the time. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And Tyson, I kind of flipped the slides here. Sorry about that. So Eugene Peterson says it like this. If you can't find them, don't worry about it, brother. Rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire, from the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way to joy. 
from the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality, from the lies of psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live long, happily, and successfully, from the lies of religionists who healed the wounds of this people lightly, from the lips of moralists who pretend, pretend to promote me to the office of captain of my fate, from the lies of pastors who leave the commandment of God and hold fast to the tradition of men. And then clue in on this, this is so insightful. Rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the Spirit. Love the end of that. Tell me about, they tell me about life, how, how I'm going to flourish as a human, how everything's going to go right, but they leave Christ totally out of it. Saying that it's a lie of lies, that we can function well in the world without our creator, without a redeemer, without a savior, without a resurrector. Peterson goes on, he says, they tell us about the world without telling us that God made it. They tell us about our bodies without telling us that they are temples of the Holy Spirit. They instruct us in love without telling us about the God who loves us and gave himself for us. We are made for more than that. And the invitation of this song and the invitation of the series, come further up, further in. Leave that. There's a different destination. Let me apply this um, in, in one way, maybe how there's something that's given us a lot of promise, but we're not always mindful about what it, what it takes from us. And I, I, uh, I wrote this out, cut it, put it back in, cut it, took it out, put it back in. So we'll see if I take it out for the second service. This will be the test case um, with you. But I, but I think it's really helpful. And it's, it's this. Your culture says, this is how you can connect. This is how you can find community. This is how you can, you, you, you're given power and access and resources, but it doesn't tell you all the things that it takes. Read a book recently by Andy Crouch, um, his newest book, phenomenal book, The Life We're Looking For. Um, I'll give you two points on this book. It's fantastic. You should drop anything you're reading and go read that book, preferably with other people. Um, two, it's really insightful. The subtitle of it is Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. Chapter one, Crouch draws attention to the crisis of, the main crisis of personhood in our time. And he says it's for the powerful and the powerless, for the haves and the have-nots. And what he would say is this, it's loneliness. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said it this way, he says, during my careers caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. Ben Sass, U.S. Senator for Nebraska, in his 2018 book, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal, sounds like an uplifting book, makes the case that the root of our political polarization and conflict is loneliness. In 2018, UK Prime Minister appointed a cabinet minister for loneliness. Loneliness is a pandemic of pandemics. Listen to how Crouch talks about this. We've never been so connected and never so lonely. And indeed, those of us who eagerly joined Facebook and other platforms during the social media explosion of the 2000s could hardly have imagined that we were actually going to feel more alienated, not less, all these years later. Is it coincidence or just a kind of grand irony that loneliness has spiked just as our media became social, our technology became personal, and our machines learned to recognize our faces. Isn't that amazing? You slide it up and it just 
He says, oh, that's Rob. In fact, this is no coincidence. There is a consistent shadow side of the bright promises, endless and genuine achievements of the technological world. It has been based all along on a false understanding of what human beings really are and what we need most. We thought we were looking for impersonal power, the kind that doesn't need persons to be effective. And now we have it with everything we want delivered straight to our doorsteps by processes and systems we scarcely understand employing persons we never see. I just think his book's so insightful because it says the world has said, this is where happiness is found. This will make everything better. But is it making everything better? And the psalmist in this text is saying, I'm tired of the false truths. I'm tired of telling me how I'm supposed to live with no reference to the creator God who made me and my very design. We are made for more than this. Come further up, further in. So tired of the deceit. But then we see in verses um, five and following, tired of the hostility. Now, I don't know. So if you look at this, woe to me, I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Gadar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Do you know anyone that says, I hate peace? I don't personally know anyone. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I assume some... I, Assume I saw them on social media, so I assume they hate peace. But I mean, that, that I hate peace, I love war. I don't know anybody, but that is our common legacy as humans. The, the, the chronicles of history, which we are a, a, a war-loving people. Our world right now shows that. We're marinated in war. It's hard to even realize how much it shapes us. We might even see it as something out there, but not something in here, or not something between us. This text, sojourn in Meshach, dwell in the tents of Gadar, to sojourn meant to travel amongst, to dwell meant to entrench yourself down in a place. And both of these locations are important. So uh, Meshach was on the southeastern edge of the Black Sea, and Kedar was in the Arabian Desert. And so these areas are actually really far apart. One person would never have lived in both of these places, particularly at this time. But what's interesting is it's the northern part, it's on the north side of Israel, and on the south side of Israel. And so they're basically, I think what this is saying is I'm just surrounded by this. Just surrounded by this way of acting, this way of behaving, this way of thinking, this way of hating. Conflict is real. And it's everywhere. We see it between nations right now, for sure. We see it between people. Outrage culture. Cancel culture. Call out culture. Hurry up and pick your side culture. Politically polarized culture. Racially and ethnically charged and divided culture. How about this? Our hate despised, sane, mock but never pray for your enemy's culture. Husbands versus wives. Do you know that that wasn't the design? Isn't that, like, like we just take it as a given that husbands and wives are gonna fight. Parents versus kids. We just take it as a given that there's supposed to be all this great conflict because we're just so steeped in it. Teachers versus students. Donkey versus elephant. One of my sons had a soccer game last night. 
So 2,008-year-olds, or 2008, they're 13 to 14-year-olds. Um, you want to see people that hate peace, go to a youth soccer tournament. Um, this, isn't, this is, I mean, this is like overboard of what it usually is. But um, these are 13 and 14-year-olds on a field, and there's parents vulgarly yelling at players on the field. Vulgar. Adults yelling at 13-year-olds. One kid punched another kid in the face. An <laughs> Actually, that's not funny. Stop laughing. It's not funny. It's, fu it's just so insane. Another kid literally took his forearm, smashed another kid right in the nose. Red card. The kid came in with his cleat, just smashed the kid. Red card. Then the coach, red card. Then the ref, just 17 minutes before the game starts, I'm done. He just walks off the field. I'm for peace. When I say peace, the parents yell at a 13-year-old. I mean, it's just insane. And here's the punchline of this. Too long. Too long. We're exhausted. Are we not exhausted with the conflict and the anger and the deceit and the frustration? Too long. Let's stop living in it. That's what this psalm is inviting us to. Don't get swallowed up by it. There's a better way. We're made for something more. And, it, and we see it in verse 7 in, in this beautiful word, this word peace. So why we leave? Because it's too painful to stay. We can do better. We can do better than that. Where we're headed? Peace. I'm for peace. Now this word peace in the Bible is a massively rich word. It, it doesn't just mean the cessation of conflict. It means the presence of wholeness. The presence of full society flourishing. It means all the broken, messed up, frayed fabric pieces of this incredible tapestry that God has created get rewoven together. This is the, the sort of life that Jesus, when he said, I came to bring life and to bring it in abundance. That's what this psalmist is saying. I want that. I want goods to, God's good design for this world. No lying lips or deceitful tongues. No hostility. Scott Sauls in his book, uh, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, captures a, this sense of shalom like this. It says, there is coming a day when we, his beloved children by faith, will feel younger, stronger, smarter, faster, happier, and more rested, tended to, and full-hearted than we can even dream about currently. Our work will be fulfilling, even fun. Our play will be epic and unending. Our connection with God and each other will be a deep source of joy and fulfillment. Honesty will be effortless. Deception, backbiting, and conflict will be impossible. Love will be the norm. Hate, division, assuming the worst. Echo chambers and calling out to cancel will be distant memories. We're steeped in a world of war, but that's not the world that humans were created for. C.S. Lewis capturing this in his book, The Last Battle, this further up, further in, he captures this when, when, when the main characters finally arrive at the new creation. They've taken this ascent up to Jerusalem, so to speak. And he says this, he says, oh, I've come at home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. 
This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up and further in. We are made for more. Come further up, further in. Now, if this idea of shalom and this beautiful reweaving is enough, let me try to sweeten the deal for you. I want you to listen to a passage from Isaiah. I'm going to point out one really, really beautiful thing in it, many beautiful things. I'll just draw attention to one thing as it points towards Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And listen to this phrase, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh, the Prince of Peace comes to bring a peace that forever increases. It's not even static. Ray Ortland commenting on this in his commentary of Isaiah says this, the empire of grace will forever expand. Jesus will not come back to tweak this problem and that. He will return with a massive correction of all systemic evil forever, of the increase, forever ascending, forever enlarging, forever accelerating, forever intensifying. There will never come one moment when we will say, that's the limit. He can't think of anything new. We've seen it all. No, the finite will experience ever more wonderfully the infinite and every new moment will be better than the last. That's what's so beautiful about where we're going. That's why we always go further up and further in. And and, and every chapter you read makes way for a better chapter to come because we're still finite in the new creation and we worship an infinite God. We will never plumb the depths of any aspect of who he is, any beauty, any grandeur, any joy, any delight. Oh, it would just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. That's what the psalmist was longing for. It's what our hearts are really longing for if we listen to them. And this psalm, it's a wake-up call. So how do we get there? So we leave, it's too painful to stay. Where are we going to? God's shalom. How do we get there? We wake up, we take one step. We hear in this text, in my distress, deliver me, woe to me, too long, This is, in many ways, an unhappy song, but with a very happy purpose. The distress is, it's a gift. When your eyes begin to see, you know, we kind of push past the the binge-watching sessions. We push past the amusement. We push past and we really get confronted with, the world is beautiful in so many ways, but so broken in so many ways. And you wake up to it, That's, that's distressing, but that's God's gift. It's his gift to to point us somewhere else. It's this first step to, to, to cause change in our lives and to set us on a new trajectory in a new direction. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says this. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When the news hits... When another report comes out, when another heartbreaking scene goes across the screen, God is shouting to us, that's not the world I created. And that's not the world I am recreating. Come, 
further up, further in. Or as Scott Saul says, it distress is a smelling salt for the soul that wakes us up from a stupor. So how do we start? One step. A step away from this world of hostility and deceit and a step towards God. And the way we keep getting there, the way we keep going is just a lifetime of slow and deliberate steps. There's a lot of obstacles on this journey, but let me give you a a big one in this pathway of discipleship, in this process of ascending, this lifetime process of ascending. Let me ask you a question. What is better, a crockpot or an instapot? You don't want to say? How many of you replaced your crockpots with an instapot? And we would be a fool not to. I mean, I don't, it can be a crockpot, but you can do stuff fast. When you forget to start the crockpot, you go, boop, and it's done. It's amazing. I was down in Seattle yesterday, and my cell phone clicked 4G to 5G. Do you know how much faster 5G is? We're like in the dark ages in Whatcom County. We need some 5G around here. Maybe it's just my phone didn't get it up here. But it was so much faster. I drove like 300 miles in the last couple days, and and I'd much rather drive it than walk it. This would be walking for a year. We're conditioned for fast, which makes the song of ascent that much more difficult to embrace, but that much more important for us to hear. Eugene Peterson picks up our cultural obsession with fast in his book on the songs of ascent. The title I've already mentioned is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Then the subtitle is this, Discipleship in an Instant Society. Quoting Peterson here, he says, one aspect of the world that is harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. It's not difficult in this environment to get someone interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. People have developed the lifestyle of a tourist and only want the high points. There is no desire to wait patiently and devoutly for a true relationship with God. It goes on and says this. I don't think we have a slide for this one. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. I love how Joe Rigney says in his book, Live Like a Narnia, which is a fantastic book if you love the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a really good book. He says this, our lives are to be a long obedience in the same direction, and our direction is far more important than our pace. Until last summer, I never thought, um, I never thought much about the, the phrase Godspeed. Uh, it used to be a phrase that was used in, in the past. I don't know how much it's used anymore. But if I ever thought about it, when I think of Godspeed, I'm thinking fast. I'm thinking quick, safe journey. There's a uh, Japanese theologian, Kazuke Kuyoma, in his book, The Three Mile an Hour God. And he makes this really clever and I think enlightening observation. He says, you know what the speed of God is? It's about three miles an hour. Because that's how fast the average, or slow, the average human walks. And God walked about everywhere on this earth. When Jesus came, he walked. I love that as a picture. And I want to offer that to you as as a way of thinking through not just this series, but our, our Christian lives. 
It's not a full-on sprint. It's not go as fast as we can. It's not hurry up and get there. I just take a step. I just take another step. Take another step. You can't instapot virtue. You can't microwave holiness. How about this for some encouragement? Charles Spurgeon. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> That's your mascot. I've said this to you before. Our sanctification mascot is not the mighty falcon. It's, it's not the leopard. It's a snail. <laughs> it's a snail. We're made for more. Oh, come further up, further in. So we take a step. Then we take another step. That's how we get there. Another way that we'll get there is we take steps with other people. One of the things that you'll see throughout the Songs of Ascent is this interplay between I, between we, between us, between I, between we. There's, there's individual aspects of it. There's communal aspects of it. The pilgrimage of the Christian life is something that individuals take on, but they're not meant to take it individually. God gives us one another. And that would have been the reality for, the, for going up to these three great feasts is that it would have been a whole family, a whole clan, a whole tribe that would have said, we're going. Come on, kids. Come on, grandpa. Let's go. Come on, neighbor. Come with us. So my invitation to you, and Pete already mentioned this during announcements, but, but if you don't have your people, let us help you find your, your people. Um, discipleship groups or gospel communities or things we do called meetups, these different events. It's just ways to, to meet other people. We have men's events coming up and women events coming up. Um, honestly, serving is one of the best ways to get to know people. People will get to know your name and you'll actually have to show up because you're on a schedule. And if you don't show up, we'll call you. You won't be angry. We'll just say, what happened? How are you doing? It's nice to meet you. Find your people. Take a step. Take another step towards this glorious picture of God's shalom. Take steps with other people. But more than anything, how we get there, it's God. More than anything else, we get there because God gets us there. It's how this psalm starts. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. It's how the next psalm actually starts as well. My help comes from the Lord. As I see the distress, as I see the journey I want to take, I look to the Lord. Remember that Isaiah text? Unto us, a child is born. This prince of peace. And of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. What that text is saying and what we see in the coming of Christ in the story of the gospel is that Jesus came to show a different way. Not one full of deceit, not one consumed with hostility and hatred, one that didn't come to crush his enemies, but in the story of the gospel, one that came to die for his enemies, to go to a cross for his enemies, to suffer in the place of his enemies, and not resigned to the way things are, but committed to making all things new. Now, Psalm 120, it does not end very hopeful, but because of the work of Christ, because he substituted himself for all who would believe 
to cleanse and forgive and to justify and to seal and to pardon and to adopt and to claim. And because he rose from the dead, triumphantly and victorious, he has made the down payment on the shalom of God, this kingdom that's coming that, that, that we will not be able to prevent. What better motivation do we have than to start the journey to the very place that is guaranteed to be there? On Mount Sinai, I was so ready to stop. And God's words were exactly what I needed. Keep going or you're going to miss what I've prepared for you. I'm glad I listened. I pray I'll keep listening. I pray we'll keep listening because we're made for more. Let's let this series remind us of that. Let's go further up and further in. Let's pray together. Father, what a, what, a, what a wonderful invitation to not be swallowed up in either the despair or the despondency or the anger or the frustration. What motivation to get about Seeing your kingdom come on earth now as it is in heaven because we know that your kingdom will come. It is as sure as the death and the resurrection of Christ. We thank you that this call to go further up and further in is not a call to escape this world. But by your grace to not be conformed to this world. That we might be a change agent in this world. For the good of our neighbors in your glory. Father, agitate us. I pray this cautiously, but agitate us enough that we would set out. Compel us and paint a grand picture of where we're going that we would keep at it. Give every single person that's part of this church someone else to meaningfully do this journey with. Above all things, keep our eyes fixed on Christ who comes as the Prince of Peace whose peace will ever increase. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.